You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this is a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailer and behind the scenes. And we're on to our third Turtles movie. Matt, introduce the very simple film title. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. 16th century Japan. Brave men ride into battle. Fighting an evil emperor. With their only hope, a golden scepter that can open the gates of time itself. Now, in their darkest hour, come four brave fighters from another time, another place, another species. You were expecting maybe uh, the Adams family? They're back, and they're back in time. defeated my ancestors. Now they've come back for me. Talk about your quantum leap! My cannons can destroy these monsters, my lord. Uh-oh, this doesn't bode well. I love this stuff! How are we gonna get home? Somebody dial 911. I have a feeling we're gonna be here for a very long time. The worst rescue I've ever had. I think I swallowed a frog. I hope it wasn't an ancestor. New Line Cinema presents... A Legorama. Sweet! The Four Greatest Turtles. Hey, all right. Eh? It's not just a job, it's an adventure. Ever to go down in history. It's just your ordinary uh, time travel equal mass displacement kind of thing. Uh, kids. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Help, I'm a turtle and I can't get up. So on the cover, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Roman numeral three. On the side, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the number three. That's so funny. And if you actually Google Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, sometimes you don't get what you want. You need to actually Google Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 111 or III. <laughs> yeah, the Roman numerals. When I Googled it the other day, when we were about, you know, after I watched this, knowing we were about to talk about it, it gave me more information about the planned Michael Bay third one. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I got. And I was like, huh, okay. So people care more about this movie that didn't happen <laughs> versus the one that actually does exist. And I, I, I would assume... There's probably more interest in this unmade third one because of all the links and stuff that come up. So I'm assuming that's what's searched more because in doing your research and trying to find information about this third movie, there's just not that much out there. And I just think it comes down to the fact that people just don't care. Exactly. This is one of those films that should have been big, should have been popular, but because it was so disappointing, so disliked, and even so hated by some, like at the 20-year anniversary, when they stuck all three of these, you get a little bit of stuff on the first two films. The third one, no one cares about. 
Yeah, and I even looked at the IMDb ratings of the movies. And like for comparison, 2, which is kind of a cult classic or whatever, somewhat of a cult classic, has a 6.1 user rating on IMDb. And by the time we get to 3, it drops all the way down to 4.1, which is a huge jump. You know, part 2 to a part 3. You know, a single entry in a series. Usually fans will keep that number up, but even the fans didn't care about this one. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes I'm looking at right now has a 23%. We all know that both Matt and I <laughs> have problems with Rotten Tomatoes, but 23% is low. Right. It's just nobody really sticking up for this one. And spoiler alert, we're not really going to stick up for it much either. It's an unfortunate thing. The series running out of steam, a probably rushed making of the movie, a coupled just, yeah, with lack of interest, series dwindling, didn't need to go this route. You know, they we talked about in the last episode kind of this planned mapped out two and three that we should have gotten with Krang and Dimension X and the dinosaurs and the aliens. And we never got that. And so the decision to go to just feudal Japan is weird. And there's so much history, you know, being told at like the beginning of this movie. This movie almost kind of feels like a homework. Yeah. I mean, I assume all this really goes down to... The video game came out at the same time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. And they're like, oh, let's do that. And they probably looked through the comic books to find his story. I know there were stories where Michelangelo was in Japan or something like that. He went off on his own adventures. But I don't know if it was feudal Japan. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Adventures in Japan. But I can't tell you why. This has nothing to really do with the video game. This really has nothing to do with the cartoon. It has nothing to do with anything. But do you think that Turtles Through Time is kind of maybe what pushed this in this direction, though? Possibly. I mean, that's the only link I got. Mm -hmm. I, I just read somewhere from some person. They're like, well, Michelangelo had adventures in Japan when he was doing like, I guess they try to break him up like the Beatles. I don't get that. I don't even know what the comic book really exists. I just read that somewhere. I think somewhere on Reddit, someone said it. Maybe I could find some on it. But here's the thing. Usually when I do homework on these things, I'm interested. I have no interest in finding out. I just watched the film. I was like, oh, eh, all right. They're in Japan. I just don't care. The item, the lantern is cool. It makes like a good toy. You know what I mean? Like it makes her a cool toy and the idea that through this thing you could do the time travel. You know, I think for a kid that works. But once you make it sort of so historical and you don't have like any sort of monster villains or anything like that, it makes it boring and it makes it feel very direct to video. -y. Yeah, this has the look and feel of direct to video and even the director basically just did television before this and television after it feels that way and it, it and watching it as a series you know one through three it feels like uh kind of work getting through this one but uh there is enough i guess connective tissue if you're invested in the first two that kind of get you through it but it does feel like homework adding the feudal japan element really makes it feel too historical and too it's a period piece kids don't want to watch a period piece so you watch this as a homework assignment. I did research on this like a homework assignment. <laughs> either way, we both kind of lose a little bit. <laughs> yeah, either way, this is not sort of, you know, we were talking about the first two movies and, 
you know, I was bringing up like some people like second one more, some people like the first one more. You're never really going to find anybody who's going to defend this one or really loves part three. Yeah, even the people who defend the pre- Star Wars prequels back off this one. They're like, oh, whoa, whoa, nope, nope, I'm out <laughs> on this one. <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine this one having like a deep, deep fan base. I think the only reason they have like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes is because you kind of, you probably have to give like one star, which is about, you know, 20%. I don't know if you can give it a zero. I don't know. I haven't rated something on Rotten Tomatoes in years. Yeah, and here's the thing. The movie isn't necessarily the worst in my opinion you know as we get to start talking about it here it's not the worst it's just a massive letdown coming off of the other ones it's still not a good movie i'm not necessarily defending it because it does feel pretty lazy and slapped together it's still made a year after the first one even though it didn't end up coming out until two years after the last one it's fine you know what i mean like it's there it's fine it could have been a lot worse i feel like uh i i've turned off the 2007 tmnt several times because it wasn't my thing i sat and watched this whole one I didn't love it, but, you know, it's just kind of one of those that just sits in the middle, not really doing anything. I rank these relative to the entire franchise, and it's not the worst in the franchise, but it's still really bad in my mind. Yeah. I don't hate it. I'm just super disappointed, and I feel like this is out of all the stuff. You know, I look at coming out of their shell tour. I look at the next mutation. Those are ones where I'm like, ugh. Those are bad. This one is the ultimate, like, I shake my head, a disappointed parent. You had all this. You spent $21 million on this? You brought Casey Jones back. April from the last one's back. Corey Feldman's back. Things are working in your favor here. You spent $20 million on this? Disappointed look. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's break down this tape. It's yellow now. We've gone... (laughs) We've gone from black to white to yellow. <laughs> I just, I don't get this. Uh, why is it yellow? We'll never know unless we do, I don't know, unless we find someone from the marketing and new line to, uh, that would be a great interview to just talk about all the new line marketing. But uh, what's up with the yellow? I don't know. So we've got they're back in time, dot, 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 for their newest movie adventure and newest movies underlined in red. They really want to let you know this is a movie, folks. This isn't an episode of a TV show here. This is a, this is an actual live-action theatrical film here, even though it don't look like it. <laughs> Big green letters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The the three Roman numeral is like slashed, which I'm assuming is either Leo's sword or Raphael's sigh. I don't know. And then we've got the turtles in samurai hats looking at a scepter. And they're in a circle, so that's supposed to be representing, you know, the rising sun, the Japanese flag. We get it. Look at you. You're clever. I'm going to be a little sarcastic throughout this film, folks. (laughs) I'm just going to let you know. (laughs) Because this one, I just felt like, wow, I wasted 90 minutes. Disappointed dad look. Absolutely. So we go to the back here. We have one quote. I believe the first movie, we had three quotes. The second movie, we had two quotes. And now we're down to one quote. This is the only one we could pull. (laughs) And there's no name on it. So again, who knows? Turtles 3 is the best of the series, loaded with great action, humor, and family-oriented fun. Entertainment Today magazine. 
So, letter to the editor? Question mark? Yeah, right. Or like, what is Entertainment Today magazine? <laughs> what local paper is this? Or whatever. What it, yeah, what made up publication is this? Yeah, and then we look at the stills. Uh, right away, it shows us that Casey Jones is back in a wig. <laughs> uh, we've got April O'Neil with her more uh, cartoon short hair. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. She's got the short hair this time. And then we've got Splinter talking to Donatello with the scepter in his hand. We've got, I think, Raphael hugging Yoshi. So we've gone from uh, Kino to Yoshi. So uh, more, even more childlike. Uh, literally, literally a child. Mm-hmm. A, b- <laughs> uh, a baby. <laughs> and then another one where the turtles are sitting around. And you can really tell the suits have changed. They're very shiny and rubbery and just don't look very good in this still. You know, I will say about the suits, still in the movie, when they're not moving, they look fine. They look good. But as soon as they start moving is when you can kind of tell, oh, this isn't as good as it was before. <laughs> so basically 95% of the film when they're moving, it looks yes, like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like uh, uh, the still on the back cover may not look good. Uh, but like when you're watching the movie, and they're not and they're not moving. You're like, okay, passable. They're totally the suits are fine. There's no seams, you know, they can move around in them or whatever. It's fine. But then yeah, you see them kind of in action, you see the faces kind of moving, you're like, ooh, this is cheaper. Yeah, yet twenty-one million dollars. There there's a little bit of story behind that. Uh so we've got the description here. America's most awesome amphibians are back, and this time their history in an all-new motion picture adventure when a magic scepter accidentally transports April back through time into 17th century Japan, the boys take off in hot pursuit, kawabungling, oh my god, kawabungling their way out of the sewers right into Samurai Orama. Now they must battle the evil lord Noringa to reclaim the magic scepter that will bring them back below the subways of New York City. So join the heroes on the half shell in a totally turtle-rific trip through time the entire family will enjoy. Ugh, man, even the description is... Ugh. Here's the thing that I they're, they're really pushing with this advertising and, yeah, the inclusion of this new child character in this. They're really pushing sort of like the family thing. This movie feels like one you'd pick up in like a Christian bookstore or something. You know, <laughs> like this is so family safe now. Even the second one we were talking about was more watered down from the first one, but now we have watered it down even more since the second one. Now it's just like so family friendly. There's no edge that is of interest to kids or adults that are taking their kids to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite as bad as like Josh Kirby watered down, you know, like kid friendly. We're not, we don't have much money, but we have big ideas. But this is kind of like writing that line. You're not quite in the pros where you should be in the theater, but you're not quite low enough to be like direct a video. But you look, you know, like a TV movie. It's a very weird middle ground they're in where you just you got to figure out a way to either look like a, a really professional film or you just got to spend less money and just send it direct to video. You, you can't ride that line. Yeah, it, it's you're so right on with that. Like it absolutely is like kind of in that nebulous in between 
where yeah it doesn't it's big, big enough budget but you know low enough ideas that it just doesn't fit either way and it's funny to think that like with the first movie they thought that that was just going to end up direct to video and not do anything because they didn't know that it was going to be a cultural sensation like it turned out to be but then by the time they got to the third one it kind of ended up being the movie they were afraid the first one was yeah and that's kind of the magic of jim henson's creature shop they are that good they had a lot less money and a lot less time than the all effects company it's literally what the effects company is called all effects company even the name's kind of generic and they don't even have a wikipedia page i don't know shit about them but i can tell you looking at these costumes they didn't know how to do what jim henson knew how to do jim henson's studio knew how to do you really feel it in uh, splinter oh he looks just like puppet that would be on like a, a disney ride you know like <laughs> he looks like kind of a pirates of the caribbean kind of animatronic or something i wouldn't be surprised if this company did stuff like that before they did this film i don't know relatively looking at the first and second and then going to the third with Splinter, that is the part of the movie where I I really dislike it. I, I'm past disappointed dad. Looking at Splinter, how you can tell he's a puppet, it's almost like Splinter's an afterthought in this film. At least in the first and second one, we get the, I made the funny, ha 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 ha. This one, you're right. He's either a ride or he's like a TV show level puppet. And it just looks, it takes you right out of the film. Yeah, it's like a, there's a rod up his ass and you got one guy kind of working his mouth and that's all it kind of looks like. You know, there's no, there, there is no life in him. It looks like a puppet. It feels like a puppet. The audience knows it's a puppet. Yep. All right. So let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. All right. So we get one trailer in this and it is a movie I watched a lot as a kid. It's Surf Ninjas. I was so glad this trailer was on the front of it because I have entirely forgotten about this movie just was gone from my brain and then in watching the trailer i was like oh my god i watch this all the time as a kid <laughs> like so much of that trailer was so familiar to me and i was like i and i had just taken it out of my brain uh because you know i i remembered like the three ninjas movies or whatever but i didn't remember this one at all and like Seeing Rob Schneider in there and everything, I was like, oh, my God, I watched this every time it was on TV in the early 90s. Uh, so it made me really want to go back and watch Surf Ninjas again. Yeah, and you get to see Ernie Reyes Jr. and Ernie Reyes Sr. being the same film. That's fun. You know, his dad, who's a, a legend when it comes to all the choreography of a lot of Hong Kong films. It's cool. It's awesome. And it's a nice it's it's fun. They put this trailer on here because it is a nice connection for fans because they get to see him, you know, from the last one, you know, and a trailer for the next movie he's going to be in. It was smart on the marketing team to put this trailer on this tape. And uh, it definitely got me fired up and wanting to watch this again because it has been a long time and I forgot all about this movie. As a kid, I remember it just being a complete blast. And it was always like one of those things that I was surprised Ernie Reyes Jr. didn't become more of a big action star in the united states it just didn't it didn't work out and he's good too he's good on camera he's charismatic he's fun and he's talented as fuck when it comes to the martial arts it's kind of it's you know sometimes it just doesn't take off for people but i, I it's a shame it didn't he didn't blow up bigger because i think he's a talented dude and yeah he's magnetic with the camera what's uh feature presentation time and now our feature presentation boy does this start off odd 
we have the turtles rocking out. The only the only thing I will say in favor of the soundtrack is the fact that they spent a little money and got Baltimore's Tarzan Boy in the soundtrack because I love that song <laughs> and I was happy to hear it in here. But they only they use it in the credits and in one quick scene later on in the movie. I, I just can't get past I can't get past these suits when they talk. I just I look at it and I'm like, twenty one million dollars. <laughs> Like, couldn't you just go to Jim Henson and, like, buy the old suits? You know, there's probably, you know, copyright on a lot of the technology that they invented. So that's not going to work. That was mostly a joke, me saying that. But, oh, my gosh. I don't know if they had a contract with this company or what was happening. But you would think once you started to see the suit that they show you, like, okay, this is how it works and everything, you'd be like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I uh, I would liken this to... In the Jurassic Park trilogy, by the time you get to Jurassic Park 3, the dinosaurs look like Muppets. You know, this is kind of the same thing where it's like by the time you get to this third one, it's like they kind of stopped trying to make them look real and just kind of phoned in moving mouth and, uh, (laughs) you know, suits that the actors can kind of get around in. But there's no life in them. No, and the spots. Why are their spots so weird? So prevalent. They're so obvious on there. And I'm like, eh, it's kind of nice when they're more blended. Yeah, like the, the suits were actually too new looking. Like they didn't actually like pretend that these turtles had lived in them for 15, 16 years. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't. That's a really good point. They, they just look brand new, like right off the assembly line. And Jim Henson's looked, it just looked like skin. It looked like amphibian skin. This just looks like painted on amphibian skin, and there's a big difference. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's exactly what it looks like. And then we get Casey Jones coming into this, and you can clearly tell he's not on the same studio as the Turtles. And then, oh, the camera work in this, too, is clearly done by people who have done TV because they just put the camera down when it's inside of these interior shots. They plop the camera down. They don't really do anything interesting with it, and they just let their characters talk. Now, clearly someone else was in charge of the camera when they go to, like, the outside shots of Feudal Japan. It is, like, two different, two dramatically different shot films if you pay attention. Yeah, I agree. It is absolutely, like, the master shot close-up, close-up is sort of the, the, the routine of any conversation scene in this movie. It's boring. Yeah, it is. So there is so much in this film like that other than the Tarzan song, I kind of give you that. That song's always fun. But the dialogue scenes are boring. The jokes aren't even funny either. Yeah. Again, it feels too baby-ish. It's like kind of the baby version of how the turtles would talk. And it's like, eh, it's just out of touch, too. It's, you know, it's an old guy writing a script for this. You know, it's a very, it's very out of touch. It's too baby-ish. And then like. And this is this is sort of a compliment. I would say that the New York stuff is a little more interesting than the Japan stuff, even though the Japan stuff's the setting is more interesting to look at. But like they're focused so much on like the history and stuff like that in the Japan area that it's a total snooze. At least when it's in the New York stuff, it feels familiar like the other movies a little bit. But uh, and and Elias Cody is just having fun. As Casey Jones, you could tell he's having fun, even though he's in a completely different movie than everybody else. 
Yeah, they don't even stick him in the cool hockey mask. Like, are you really afraid? You know, was this... I wonder if they geared this movie towards like eight-year-olds and not 13-year-olds. I think they did. I think that was a major problem with this movie. They aimed younger for their audience as the series went on. And I feel like that's a huge mistake and disservice to the fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that Stuart Gillard not only directed this, but wrote it. So that's a problem. Like, I, I don't know if he's worked with in other children's films or anything, but I see he's directed in the outer limits and he's got, he's got so many directing credits in television. I, I just don't know why well, I see that he directed the new TV series charm five episodes. Yeah. Well, he also did uh, a few episodes of the nineties Charmed as well. Uh, but again, he's just from TV. He's from, he's from go fast and, you know, work within parameters that have already been set up. And I'm sure that's why he got hired for this, because they were like, it's a series. We have a look. Just kind of come in and do the thing. And it does feel that way. It feels so just like going through the motions. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of heart in this. Oh, my. He directed Rocket Man from 1997. I mean, that's his career high. Once you got... Uh, Harlan Williams farting in a spacesuit on uh, William Sadler. You're that's a career high for you. <laughs> wow. I mean, at least he tried on that one. That's what I feel like this one is. This also feels like this should be his big shot. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. You're in a massive franchise, even if it's you know you think it's plateaued. This is kind of like your opportunity to get out of television because back then it was really hard. And it almost feels like I wonder, like, because he got to write it and direct it. So you can't get lazy. But I wonder if he got at a certain point, like he knew he's like, these suits aren't that good. Splinter looks like crap. But he wrote the story. So, I mean, a lot of this blame has to be on his shoulders, even though he clearly has had a very good career. So I want that to be clear. I'm not making fun of the man. I'm just saying I don't think he gets the turtles. And who knows? We don't know because there isn't that much behind the scenes. But maybe he had just like a week to write this screenplay. And they maybe were like, oh, turtles through time is really popular. We need a screenplay in a week. We know you do TV and work fast. Can you do this? And it may just not be anybody's best. Because, you know, it probably was a rush thing. It still was made a year after the last one, the one prior. So it probably had another quick, like, six-month turnaround. They probably just didn't have much time to develop and edit and really refine the screenplay before getting into it. And then, yeah, you get on set and you got crappy puppets. Your story's underdeveloped. You're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, and you're not allowed to use any of the enemies from the other films. That's the worst part of this movie, I gotta say. There's no monsters in it. And that's what I'm coming for. I'm coming for creatures. I'm coming for effects. I'm coming for something I haven't seen before. I We, we got Razor and Taka in the last one, and they, they're cool looking. They're, they're monsters. In this one, we get a guy. There's a villain that's a guy. And it's so... And, then, and he's got a couple of other guys he works with. And I'm like, ah... Put a scar on his face or something. Make it interesting, but there's nothing there. I mean, I really wonder if this script was quite a bit different at one point. Because, like, I know Yosaki Jimbo, Yosaki Ojimbo, 
was a, a rabbit samurai in the the turtles and i think it actually like splintered i think that actually came from another mirage comic book that mm. eastman and did anyway i'm wondering if he was in this like maybe the english or dutch can't i'm not quite clear what he is i think he's english like bad guy that's like the gun smuggler mm-hmm I wonder if, like, he traveled back into the present, got mutagen, came back to the past, and, like, created Yosaki Ojimbo, and it was supposed to go that way or something. I mean, I know I'm searching on this film, but that's really all I can do, because I just don't want to sit here and rip this film for an hour. But I could. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm trying to be nice here. Like, what did you have planned? And maybe you're right. Maybe the, the script had to be written in two weeks. It's underdeveloped and he wasn't allowed to use any bad guys. So he's like put in a bad position because maybe at this point, Eastman and Laird said, we're not even going to like help you at all. We're not going to meet in the middle. You got to create some type of uh, creature bad guy. You are absolutely correct. Just make it up. You did that with Toka and Razar. Just make something up. Yeah, exactly. Like and if the like you were saying this, they're putting the seed there for this character to come later with mutagen like maybe in part four or something like that you can't lay the groundwork like that when you know your series is already on shaky ground like that would have been the equivalent of having like a cliffhanger at the end of this movie and them never making another one it's just like put the action put the thing we want to come see in the movie don't just lay the groundwork for it, too, if that's what they were doing with this character from the other Mirage comic book. In reality, I think this is just like, well, Shredder looks like a samurai. Let's make the bad guy samurais. I think it is simple as that. And that's just unfortunate because it's not only lazy, but it also is. Yeah, it's taking away from the thing that excites fans. We want to come see something that we haven't seen before with the turtles. We want to see, you know, you've got toys that they're making new monsters every month. We want to see something like that. Give us something new and exciting we haven't seen before. You just put a dude in a samurai costume and a Rashomon costume or whatever, like their uh, bad guy is. We're just not that interested. It's boring. It's boring to look at. Yeah, hell. Have the guy travel in the future, get mutagen, and then make four different turtles, and the turtles are fighting like they're shadows, you know, their evil selves, and anything. So they set up this whole Kappa demon. D- do that. At least make some demons come and fight them. Right. They just don't even go that way. They re- they And they don't even hint at it, you know? We don't even get, like, a... A flash of something. We just we we follow the dudes. We get the the British dude and the Rashomon dressed samurai guy. Those are our two bad guys, and that's it. Like we don't even get a hint of a demon or anything. The bad guys are so forgettable. Yeah, I actually. So when I put in this tape, I forgot what this. I knew it was like they traveled to Japan, but I forgot about the English gunrunner. I forgot about the the family dynamic where the son is going off to fall in love with the the rebel leader oh wow this is why i forgot about this and then like the goofy right hand man i forgot that vivian Wu was in this movie too uh and you know she was she was in a lot of stuff at this time she was kind of a character actress at this time uh for these kind of characters and i think she's great and i was kind of excited to see her in this but again she's got nothing to do either yeah it looks like they wanted her to do more because it's obviously kind of like the 
I don't know, is this Romeo and Juliet or is this more like Princess Leia and it's not Han Solo? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing with it. The rich prince is falling in love with the rebel princess. These characters are such an afterthought in the script that like us trying to grasp at straws and find out what it is, is you know, we're the movie's not doing us any favors trying to figure this out because they the movie doesn't care about them either. Do you think the whole Casey Jones and the four samurai guardians were like tacked on at the very end to because they're like, well, we can't have them in Japan the whole time. We need some goofy stuff for the young kids. So let's make them play hockey and fight like three stooges. Absolutely. I absolutely think that's what it was. They were like, they probably thought kids are going to think that feudal Japan is boring, which they're right. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, and so they add this little, and like I said at, at the beginning of this, I feel like that is the most interesting part of this movie is the stuff that's set in modern day. And again, that's not like saying much because it's not that interesting, but I think all that stuff works better than any of the Japan stuff in this movie. They just treat the Japan stuff so boringly that like, yeah, uh, watching these four guys play video games at an arcade is funnier than anything the turtles are doing over there. Yeah, and I think the only two highlights in this entire film was one, oh, okay, Casey Jones is back. I remember that as a kid being like, oh, sweet, Casey Jones. And then you're let down because Casey Jones didn't do much. And then on the other hand, you had Corey Feldman's voice talent is back. But then I looked at the suit and I was like, yeah, but this is bad. So there was like, that's the only two highlights. And I find this interesting that Corey Feldman was asked back, but didn't get a raise. Yeah, we know that he did the first one for very cheap. So he was ready and available to do this one. And they kind of treat him as sort of like the and in the credits. He's sort of our celebrity in this movie a little bit. Like that's how they treat him. And uh, he, he does feel like kind of the star turtle in it this time. But in 1993, Corey Feldman isn't an and. Like no right. one's going to the film to watch, <laughs> you know, the Corey Feldman movie. Right. After the Burbs, it was kind of just downhill for him. That's I mean, that's just the reality of what it was. I And I'm not the person, we talked about this earlier, we're not the people to make fun of Corey Feldman. He's had some tough times in his life. I'm just not going to make fun of someone who had drug addictions. But you can't, the studio's got to know, like, is Corey Feldman the and? But then again, who is an and in this? You know what I mean? I mean, I guess Elias Cody. How do you say his last name? I always say Codius. I've heard people say Coteus. I don't Coteus. know. Coteus. Yeah, I've heard Coteus too. Yeah. Pronounce it wrong anyway, because I can't pronounce words. But I guess he could be the and. But I don't think kids know his name. Exactly. But it, yeah, regardless, it's like. I, here's the thing. I, you, you were saying it too. I'm not, I'm not going to pick on Corey Feldman. And like, I like Corey Feldman. I like his, I like his performances. I like his shtick. You know, I'm always rooting for him. Yeah. But, and he's had a rough go, man. And that's just, I feel more bad. You know, it is, it's nice, I guess, to have him here because it does give, I guess, the movie, you know, him and, uh, Casey Jones, it does make it feel like they're kind of trying to keep it within the canon of the, uh, original but yeah it's almost just like too little too late yeah it's a good way of putting it it's too little too late Corey feldman you know missed the second one because of the drug rehab and now it's just like not the same and the movie's not as good so you have a lot of disappointing things in that but i will give them that a lot of the fight choreography still looks pretty good i i don't know how i feel about 
the turtles riding horses. I find that weird. <laughs> it just it just felt awkward. The whole back half of this movie does feel awkward. The turtles in the samurai outfits, the turtles on the horses, the turtles interacting with the ninjas and stuff like that. It just it does. It feels awkward, forced and boring. We get a couple fights and I will at least say like, hey, they're using their weapons sort of. I don't think we ever see Michelangelo with nunchucks. Yeah, I don't think so either. A lot of that has to do with they couldn't release it in Europe if he's using his nunchucks because for some reason nunchucks are just not allowed in European films. I don't even know. I mean, hell, a lot of the countries might just completely restrict the actual weapon. I I, I find that so odd. Like the nunchucks, they're not even blades. I feel I feel like it's because in the 90s, kids thought they were the coolest thing ever and then got really hurt or got their parents really hurt or something. And they really had to be like, uh, we need to pump the brakes on these because uh, I think I feel like our generation thought they were like the coolest things ever and uh, got really hurt and <laughs> like didn't realize sort of the skill that it took to actually wield these things. Yeah, because that that shit will bust your nose. These are weapons. <laughs> they were designed for one thing, hurting. <laughs> you got to watch it when teenage boys get their own jobs. They're going to spend it on. They're going to spend their money on crap and nunchucks. nunchucks. <laughs> well, I mean, you could hurt yourself with skateboards, too. So I'm surprised that they I don't even think they skateboarded in the second and third film. I feel like there was some sort of skateboard thing in the second one briefly in that mall fight or something like that. But yeah, there's none of it in this one. They're riding horses. (laughs) Yeah, we've gone from skateboards to horses. Just not a good sign. The direction of your film is not looking good. Yeah, I think it's just very indicative of like the whole thing. (laughs) like the from the excitement of and the fast pace of skateboarding up and down ramps to sitting on a horse walking slowly through these cheap sets (laughs) and michelangelo's uh you know riding it the wrong way isn't that funny kids in kindergarten isn't that funny more and more we're talking about it the more and more obvious it is to me that they're aiming for like little little kids with this one and the turtles look bloated in their samurai suits when they're out of the suits in the sewer you know clearly the interior sets they look thin you know lean and mean but when you get them in the samurai suits they just look big and bloated so that tells me that they had two different design suits and for some reason the samurai ones were bigger and bulkier. So I think that's actually probably why they kept their costumes on, I think, pretty much the entire outdoor, you know, exterior shots. The reason I noticed it when I was watching it, I think the reason that it looks so bad and so like bloated is because they put the suits over the shell, thus making the shirt or whatever, like the, the torso piece look absolutely gigantic because it's covering the 
the shell in the back, but as it's curving through the front, it just makes their hips and stuff look huge. They should have found a way. This is just my, I guess, design aesthetic. They should have found a way to cut the shell out of the suit because then they would have looked more svelte in there. But because they're covering the back shell, yeah, it makes their whole front torso just look wide. And these suits look heavier to fight in because I know they improved the weight of the suit from the first to the second. But maybe it is. Maybe it's just because the costume's over it and it just looks bigger. It's still okay. Like I was saying, I was like, it's it's not, I don't have really much against the fighting. They just don't look as agile. Yeah. It's still a Golden Harvest movie and they're still putting spotlight on the martial arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, like you're saying, it doesn't look like they have an, an easy time moving around, getting around. <laughs> no. And then this whole movie collides at the end because you get the, the April O'Neil like, ha ha. It's funny that she's got a Walkman in the past. We did that little joke. I don't understand why they like appear in the other person's clothes. The rules of time traveling in this movie is you have to be touching the scepter at the same time and have the same mass. And then basically you just switch. So you have all the clothes and everything like that. But yet she takes a Walkman into the past. I know it's nitpicking a little bit, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they didn't think their rules through too much and sort of like the idea of they have to have the same mass the four guys that come over and replace them with the turtles are not the same mass as the turtles at all yeah i know because the turtles look like they're like 225 and these dudes look like they're a buck 80 yeah <laughs> and i think that's why they said mass because they're like oh well because they're in the samurai suits you know they kind of are like the same size as the turtles yeah okay fine Uh, But it's still not very good. And then we've got like, they try to put a clock on this. Like we've got 60 hours. Why did you choose 60 hours? Why didn't you say 72? Three days? Yeah, the arbitrary number doesn't really have any significance. So why do it that way? And then like it only works every 12 hours. So what clock is this set on? (laughs) Like what time zone? It doesn't even math out right. (laughs) I'm like, what? Uh, I just I feel at that point they're like, eh, the kids aren't going to know that. And you're right. I didn't notice that as a kid. But the reason I didn't notice is because I didn't care. We watched this film in the theater. Every kid left the theater disappointed. Then this movie was bought reluctantly. You know, like my parents are like, oh, look, we got you the third Turtles film. And everyone was like, eh. And then anytime we'd play the game, putting in the film and guessing it off the trailers, as soon as you saw the Surf Ninja trailer, there was just like this, I'm not going to bed happy tonight feeling like you're like, oh, damn it. And I don't think I think this film, too, was also ones where we just fast forwarded to what we wanted to see and then chuck this tape out and put something else in. I definitely had seen this one a couple times as a kid, and I only realized it kind of this time. But the thing I liked so much about this movie as a kid was just the, the idea of the time travel scepter. The rest of the movie I could give a shit about. like, And that's why I never remember that I had seen this a few times. The fact that I didn't carry any of it with me besides that is, again, indicative of how just kind of like lame the story is and how disinterested I was in it. And then I do remember watching this again as like a teenager at again some family member's house it was on it's you know it's family safe they left it on or whatever and i remember thinking man 
what a step down this is. And that was me as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Well, like gone from what I remember is all the impressions that Michelangelo did. Cause in the second one, I, you know, he did a couple impressions gone is like the pop culture references. Well, no, I think there are a lot of pop culture there references, are, in but this. they're so like lame in this one. Like it's a, there's a Terminator two, I'll be back reference with a bad Arnold impression. There's uh, oh, what was the other one that was just like, just very of like 1991 just felt out, felt outdated by the time this movie came out. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it's not the same sort of vibe is the cowabunga dude lingo that's in the first two. I don't even think they say cowabunga in this film. I can't remember them doing it. Yeah, so if they did it, it wasn't memorable, which is, you know, another problem in its own. But let's get to the end, uh, because two more things I want to point out. One, I watched this film like two weeks ago, and I don't even remember what the ending is. I assume they just beat the bad guy, you know, the samurai's return, and the other samurai sees the girl, and... The rebellion wins and everyone's happy. Uh, I do remember that I think Splinter's like final joke is him doing the hula or no, yeah, like some Elvis again, an Elvis reference. Yeah, because every kid knows and wants to see that in 1993. What? Yeah, and then they they have these weird this weird stake at the end of the movie too, where it's like Michelangelo wants to stay. Oh, that's right. Like he was having a crisis. But like it's so not on the forefront of the rest of the movie. And then it all of a sudden comes to a head at the very end. And they're like, no, dude, come on. We all got to (laughs) go. Yeah. Were they trying to make it where like Michelangelo was falling in love with her or was just like, like maybe we needed a girl turtle because... They're, they feel well, he feels lonely. I, I didn't know what the hell they were doing with that. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It still feels like platonic. It doesn't feel like a romantic interest. But yeah, he like has this weird connection with her and the kid and wants to stay. But we don't again, it's never it's not totally explained as like romantic or that he has some connection to the past or something like that. He's just like, oh, these people were nice to me. I'd like to stay. there's just so much in this film that doesn't really really do anything it's undercooked (laughs) that's how it feels if the first if the first movie is a pub burger and the second movie is a uh, burger king whopper this one is raw food poisoning (laughs) (laughs) oh wow i thought you were gonna go with like you know a restaurant that no one likes but no you just went straight to food (laughs) this one's yeah (laughs) the joke returns (laughs) oh this is the arby's of the teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah if the first one's mcdonald's and the second one's burger king this one's the arby's or the sonic oh there's gonna be like two fans that are like, hey, I like Arby's. <laughs> it's like, well, we don't. <laughs> Sorry. You can like Arby's when you turn 30, but you can't like Arby's when you're eight unless you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt is dropping savage lines here. And in fact, <laughs> factoids that people need to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just done talking about the film. Uh, I can't even think about anything else to talk about except all the video games that are out and i'm i'm curious if matt played any of them zero i'm gonna tell you right now none of them 
<laughs> All right. Well, then uh, we'll go on to uh, why Jim Henson Studios isn't a part of this. It had nothing to do with money. And apparently they were kind of open to doing this. But the problem was the biggest problem was time. At this point, they were producing dinosaurs. Uh, they were doing a lot of Disney stuff and they were doing uh, Dog City. Essentially, they were too thinned out. And for the time that it would have taken to do a third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film to do it all right, they just couldn't do it. And part of me wonders if they were happy. Like, good, we got out of this one. I feel like by the time they would have gotten a look at the script, they would have just been like, it ain't worth it. Dinosaurs is treating us way better right now. <laughs> so let's go on the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is a part of the show where we go out like Indy into the film jungle and bring something back. This is our last film of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. I don't have anything positive to say about this. So I'm just going to say your paint job has to be better on the turtles. There's a lot of stuff that I could point to, but I feel like it's a much harder to change like the script and all that. But the paint job, get that right. That will probably help a lot. You're so right in that, like, I, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me, but, like, now I can't, is, like, escape the thought of, like, they they don't look lived in. And you, you make such a good point. They don't look dirty. They don't look like they've been through anything. They look like they just put the suits on and they're crisp and they're brand new today. And you're you're so right. And that, ta- that takes away all of the magic from them. I, I guess another thing is don't do a period piece. I know that's a lot harder to change. Same thing with the animatronics of the face. Yeah, absolutely. My my lump of coal that I'm going to put in the museum is Feudal Japan. Don't make your series feel like homework for kids. Don't make it historical. You can have, you know, a Turtles Through Time concept, but it feels so like a movie a substitute history teacher would put on. It's boring. I don't want to see Feudal Japan when I watch the Turtles. I want to see Monsters News. That's a really good point. I thought you made a great point, too, with like, you got it. There's no monster. Yeah, there's no monsters here. And that's a huge mistake. OK, well, I mean, I've seen worse Turtles. The next mutation was pretty bad. The uh, coming out of their shells tour looked just that was straight nightmare fuel. So they did better than those two. I guess that's sort of a positive. It's the. Well, that shit sandwich wasn't as bad as the last shit sandwich kind of like reference. I don't hate this movie. There's enough connective tissues to the other movies that I like that I can't hate this entirely. But it's also just so middle of the road and kind of boring that I also don't like or love this movie either. It's just so meh. I'm not excited to watch it. I don't I I'm I'm not planning on ever really owning this one. It's just there. It's on everyone's shelves and you barely ever watch it. And the only time you do watch it is if you're like just running through the entire series. It's got more going for it than like it's the 2007 TMNT, which I've turned off twice, fell asleep to twice or whatever, because it's again, it's got Casey Jones in it. I like April in it. You know, it's got enough of the stuff that I like, but the movie sucks. I'm not going to turn it off and I am probably going to watch it if I run the gauntlet of watching all the movies again. But like, it's so nothing. It's just air. 
<laughs> just wind. <laughs> I think one time, a long time ago, you described a movie as a wet fart. It's a wet fart because there's some relief there, but you're not really happy with the relief you got. So. <laughs> and you definitely got to go to the bathroom to make sure nothing came out. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> we're, we're at where we're at with this one. <laughs> Okay, that will end our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise review. I do have one question for my co-host here. At the end of this franchise, which one do you like better? One or two? One might be the better film, but I'm always going to rewatch the second one over and over again. So I think I like them both for different reasons. But in terms of, I guess, filmic quality... The first one is the better made movie, but in terms of rewatchability, I feel like I am going to go back to Secret of the Use more. I think the first one's better, a uh, better film. I think it's I like the subject matter, the darkness, the the often used word of grittiness. I like all of that. I like the Frank Miller, Jack Kirby influences and, you know, Eastman and Laird, like really getting to show off their characters that they created for the comics. The second one is just rewatchable. It just is. It's filled with pop culture references over and over with and the good pop culture references, you know, like Vanilla Ice is in it. We've got a Bart Simpson cup. I mean, we just have so much and you get Mikey and the Turtles being funny and looking like they're a family like they, they've always like where they're just like, oh, Raph's doing his thing again. Whatever. That's what Raph does. You know, that's what makes those two great. And you can watch those two movies back to back. You know, you can watch the second one more because it's just an easy watch. I got to go back to the the burger reference. It's like, yeah, the first one's a pub burger. You can't eat it all the time, but it's a treat you give yourself and it's, you know, higher quality or whatever. But this the second one's a fast food, you know, Burger King burger. It's a Whopper. And you can just pop those whenever, you know, whenever you're going through a drive through. So, you know, it depends on, I guess, what you're in the mood for. But I think both movies have enough that they can stand on that. Yeah, that work. You want the cartoon? You watch the second one. You want the comic book? You watch the first one. Yep. And the third one's an Arby's burger where you get diarrhea afterwards. Yeah. Don't be that weird kid that likes Arby's over all the other ones. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's always going to be what I remember from this podcast. (laughs) That's the takeaway from today. (laughs) The third one is the Arby's meal. Yes. (laughs) And the kid who liked Arby's was definitely homeschooled. That'll end it. Until next week, Matt, remember to be kind. And rewind. Haley Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. 